Take your Bibles, please. Turn to Romans chapter 14. Romans 14. Start to read in verse 1. Him that is weak in the faith receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. For one believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth herbs. Let him not that eateth despise him that eateth not, and let him not uh, and let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth, for God hath received him. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant to his own master, and standeth or falleth? Yea, he shall be holden up, and God is able to make him stand. One man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regardeth the day regardeth it unto the Lord, and he that regardeth not the day to the Lord, he doeth, he doth not regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks. And he that eateth not to the Lord, he eateth not and giveth God thanks. For none of us liveth to himself, and no one dieth to himself. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for your word this night. We do pray that as we now come to Romans chapter 14, that you would guide our time. Lord, I pray that you would just allow me to have wisdom and clarity of thought and to share your truth. I pray that you guide our time tonight. May we learn from your word that which you would have us to learn. May we be instructed by its truth and may we leave uh, rejoicing having known that we've been in your presence. May you meet with us, Father God, this night in your word and may we receive from you the instruction you would have for us. Uh, use me, Father God, to your glory, I pray. And we'll be sure to give you all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. In our study of the book of Romans, we now come to the beginning of chapter 14. And uh, as we get to chapter 14, we come to another subdivision of the second major section of the book of Romans. Now, if you remember, the first 11 chapters of Romans deal with doctrinal matters. And then at the start of chapter 12, the apostle turns our attention and his consideration to the application of the doctrine taught in chapters 1 through 11. And he starts in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, and introduces the whole practical section with the words, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove as a good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And everything in chapter 14 is covered by that introduction. Verses 1 and 2 of chapter 12 are the introduction to chapters 12, chapter 13, chapter 14. So everything in chapter 14 is covered by that introduction where Paul is beseeching us by the mercy of God that we present our bodies as living sacrifices, whole and acceptable unto God. And first of all, as we commence our study of Romans chapter 14, I thought it might be good for us to have a look at a summary of chapters 12 and chapter 13, uh, just briefly. Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8, deals with our relationship with other members of the church. 
And then in Romans chapter 12, verses 9 to 16, we have dealt with other aspects of our relationship with believers. And then in chapter 12, verses 17 and 21, he widens that discussion to deal with their personal relationships with people who are not Christians, those outside of the body of believers. And then in chapter 13, he begins to give us a valuable advice and teaching of our relationship to the powers that be in chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. And then finally, the apostle drives home his teaching and enforces the importance of this teaching upon us by reminding us that our time in this world is limited. In fact, it's very short in verse 8 to 14. In fact, in chapter 13 and verse 11, we read this. And that knowing the time that now it is high time to wake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering wonders, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. And now as we come to chapter 14, we have a new subsection. It's still under the general heading of behavior or the general heading of our relationships with other people within and outside the church. But here he is going back to our relationship to people within the body of Christ, within the church. So as we come to the beginning of chapter 14, he takes us back to the thing he was talking about at the beginning of chapter 13, which is to do with our relationship with those within the body of Christ, within the church. And he deals with problems that tend to trouble believers, problems that tend to upset us. And above all, these problems that he deals with are problems that tend to divide us. And disunity has always been a problem, a major problem, if you like, amongst God's people. Just look in the Old Testament and you read record after record in the Old Testament of civil wars, of family fights, of family disputes among the people of Israel. Division amongst God's people, disunity amongst God's people. In the New Testament, almost every local church mentioned in the New Testament had divisions of some sort to contend with. The Corinthians were divided over human leaders and some of the members were even suing each other. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. First Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 1. Dear any of you having a matter against another, go to law before the unjust and not before the saints. You not know that the saints shall judge the world, and if the world shall be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matter? Know you not that we shall judge angels? How much more the things that pertain to this life? If then you have judgments of things pertaining to this life, set them to judge who is our least esteemed in the church. I speak to your shame, it is so, that there is not a wise man among you, no, not one, that shall be able to judge between his brethren, but brother goeth to law with brother, and that before the unbelievers. In the church at Galatia, the saints were biting and devouring each other. Look in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 15. Galatians 5 and verse 15. It says, But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of 
another. The saints at Ephesus and Colossae had to be reminded of the importance of Christian unity. Look in Ephesians, if you would please. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 3. It says, Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And Colossians chapter 3. And verse 13. Forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. The church of Philippi had two women that were at odds with each other. And as a result, they were splitting the church. Look in Philippians chapter 4, please. And verse 2. Philippians 4, 2. I beseech you, Iodas, and I beseech Syntyche, that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And so these churches all had struggles with unity. And now as we come to the church at Rome, the believers in Rome were divided over special diets and over special days. Some of the members thought that it was a sin to eat meat, so they ate only vegetables. Look in chapter 14 and verse 2. One believeth that he may eat all things. Another is weak, who is weak eateth herbs. And that others thought there was a sin, it was a sin not to observe the Jewish holidays. Look in verse 5. One man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. Let him be fully persuaded in his own mind. And the point is this, that if each Christian had kept his opinions to himself, there would have been no problem. But the problem that arose in all these churches, and here in particular in the church at Rome, is they didn't keep their opinions to themselves. They began to criticize each other. They began to judge each other. They began to label each other as being sinners, as being unholy, as not living godly lives. They were judging other people. The one group was sure that the other group was not as spiritual as they were. This is not what the Lord wants for us. What the Lord desires for us as believers is that you and I would dwell in unity. One commentator said this, Unfortunately, we have similar problems today with many grey areas of life that are not clearly right or wrong to every believer. Some activities we know are wrong because the Bible clearly condemns them. Other activities we know are right because the Bible clearly commands them. But when it comes to areas that are not clearly defined in Scripture, we find ourselves needing some other kind of guidance. And here in Romans chapter 14, Paul gives to us that guidance. What do we do about those things that are not clearly condemned in God's Word and not clearly commanded in God's Word? What do we do with those things that are in those gray areas? How do we know how to act? What's the guidance that God's word gives to us? Well, God gives us that guidance here in Romans chapter 14. Here he explains how believers could disagree on non-essentials and still maintain unity within the church. How do, we how do we maintain unity while at the same time we don't agree on the non-essentials? Well, here in Romans chapter 14, we are given three important admonitions in chapter 14, verses 1 to 23 in the whole chapter. The first of these we're going to consider tonight. We first are managed to receive one another. Look in verse 1. Him that is weak in the faith, receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. In Romans chapter 14 and verse 1 here, we, are, we have given to us the governing principle. 
of the argument that is about to be made. The governing principle that's going to govern, going to, going to steer us through chapter 14 and this matter about how that we maintain unity in the non-essential areas is governed by this phrase, him that is weak, receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. This is the governing principle that overrides the whole of this chapter. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, he starts with a kind of proposition. Him that is weak in the faith receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. There, if you like, is the text that is going to lead to the sermon. Though I prefer to put it in terms of a statement of the case to be considered and the general principle that will govern the treatment of it. So verse 1 is the verse you and I need to remember as we make our way through chapter 14. This verse is the key to understanding the principle that we're to follow. That we are, that those who are weak in the faith, we're to receive, but not to doubtful disputations. We are to receive, that means we're to accept them as a friend. Those that are weak in the faith, we're to accept as friends the weaker brother. That's what it's saying here. Now the word weak here, in the Greek, is a verb. So it's referring to those who are weak in the exercising of their faith. This is not those who are weak in their faith in salvation, not sure whether they're saved or not. These are believers who are genuinely saved, but are struggling with their faith. They're struggling with the exercise of their faith. They're believers, they're saved. Okay? That's the context of the whole chapter 14. He's talking to born-again believers about born-again believers. The problem that they're facing here is that these believers, the ones that have been mentioned here in verse 1, the weak ones are the ones who are struggling with their faith. Martin Lone Jones again said, If you question them on all these matters of salvation, you will get the correct answers. In other words, the believers he's talking about, the weak in the faith, these ones are genuinely saved. And if you were to discuss doctrine with them, you would find that they were doctrinally sound. You could not fault their doctrine. This is not a case of the fact that these are wavering in their faith. That they're questioning their doctrine. You ask them any of the doctrines, particularly the doctrine of salvation, they could give you a genuine answer, a correct answer, a biblical answer. The problem was not their salvation. The problem was not their doctrinal perspective. Their problem was not their understanding of doctrine. The problem was that when it comes to the details of life and living, they drop back from the faith into an old legalistic way of thinking. They have begun to think of the terms of justification by works. They're seeking now to demonstrate their faith by their works and the works now become an illustration of their faith. They're becoming legalists. They're weak in exercising the faith. And we should not make their weakness a reason for disunity. Gusick said this, Receive the one who is weak in the faith, our words to take seriously. Paul warns us to not to make spiritual maturity a requirement for fellowship. We should distinguish between someone who is weak and someone who is rebellious. Just because someone is weak in their practice of their faith does not mean that you and I should make that a matter of separation. 
We need to distinguish between those who are weak in their faith and those who are rebellious. And in Romans chapter 14 and verse 1, the apostle tells us that you and I must realize what our duty is towards them. What is, how are we supposed to behave towards those who are struggling with the living of their faith? They know they're saved. They know what they believe. But the practice of that faith, how to live that faith, how to ensure that they're walking godly, they're struggling with that. And so he tells us that we must realize that we have a duty towards them. We have a duty to all fellow members of the church, even to the weak in faith. You and I have a responsibility to one another. You and I are to receive one another. Martin Lloyd-Jones again said this, the fact that someone, some people may be weaker in the faith than we are, or maybe weaker than we think we are, must not lead us to feel that we are independent of them or that we are unconcerned about them, or that we cannot be bothered with them. You see, we are to be cordial towards them. We're to be loving towards them. Those who differ with us, those who do not agree with us about personal convictions that have nothing to do with the Word of God and the commands of God's word, or the condemnation of God's word, but in these grey areas, in these areas that are, are uh, not necessarily essentials, how are we supposed to react? What we're to be is we're to be loving towards those with which we differ. When that difference is not doctrinal, when that difference is not moral, when those things are the things that don't matter in the grand scheme of things, you and I are to be cordial one to another and we're to love one another. When the reality is every one of us have certain preferences that we like as far as believers are concerned, the way that we live. And we need to be cordial and loving towards each other in those areas, in those things that don't matter. See, it's not our responsibility to decide the requirements for Christian fellowship in the church. So that again, it's not our responsibility to determine the requirements for Christian fellowship in the church. Only the Lord can do that. And the Lord has done that by giving us his word. This is the absolute standard of righteousness. This is the absolute standard. If the word of God does not command it, and the Word of God does not condemn it, then we need to look at it as being in that area the things that are non-essential. And we need to be careful not to set those non-essentials as standards for fellowship within the church. God set the standard. God gave us His Word. God has made it black and white. God has made it clear there are some absolutes. There are certain things God has commanded and those things are unchangeable. Those things are non-negotiable. Those, those things do determine fellowship. There are certain things that God has condemned. Most of those are fact contained in the moral law. And those things are non-negotiable. Those things are unchangeable. Those things are absolutes. And those things do determine fellowship. But between these two areas of commands and condemnations, there are some 
non-essential areas. We need to be careful that we don't make them the matter for separation or fellowship within a church. Fellowship must be based upon doctrine, based upon the moral law, not upon the non-essentials. See, if you and I set up man-made restrictions based upon personal prejudices, it's to go beyond the Word of God. If we determine who we're going to fellowship with based upon our preferences and not based upon the Word of God, then you and I are going beyond the teaching of God's Word. Our fellowship and acceptance of each other cannot be based upon personal preference. It must not be based upon what we think is acceptable, but it must be based upon the Word of God. So, chapter 14, verse 1 says, Him that is weak in the faith, receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. It explains that we receive the weak. And this receiving of the weak has to do with doubtful things, not tolerance of sin. It's not talking about tolerance here. This is not you and I tolerating people's wicked behavior. This is not you and I tolerating their disobedience to God. This is not you and I tolerating immoral, immoral behavior or immoral areas or in direct uh, uh, opposition to the commands of God. That's not the areas he's talking about here. Those things, as I said, are absolute. What's in view here in verse 1 and following through to verse 23, what's in view is those things that have nothing to do with the tolerance of sin, but these are to do with doubtful things. Pastor Mitchell said this in his notes, the Romans were to receive welcome not to ostracize or alienate the weak in the faith. They were to receive them but not to doubtful disputations, not to have arguments with them about their convictions. So we're not to make matters of conscience points of separation and argumentation. That's what it says. He him that is weak in the faith, receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. That phrase, not to doubtful disputations, carries with it the idea that we're not to befriend, not to not befriend somebody because uh, we don't like what they believe and therefore what we do is seek to change their mind. We'll only befriend them if they can change their mind. We want them to think like we think. We want them to think the way we think about certain non-essential things and we'll only befriend them if they agree with us. And so what we're going to do is we're going to argue with them and we're going to argue them into a submission. We're going to have doubtful disputations with them. We're going to argue with them into submission over doubtful things. I mean, you and I can debate all day long about the doubtful things, can't we? You know? Things that, don't, that aren't in Scripture... But, you know, one person thinks this is true and another person thinks this is true and we can argue about it all day long. But because we don't have any scripture about that regards, there's no right or wrong answer. It's a personal preference. And, of course, he's dealing with those things here in this chapter. As Pastor Mitchell says, we're not to make matters of conscience points of separation and argumentation. You know, there's certain things that you and I, for conscience sake, don't do as believers. Certain believers can't do certain things for conscience sake. 
simply because in their conscience they cannot be in a certain circumstance. They cannot do a certain thing because of who they are spiritually and where they are spiritually. And just because they can't do it doesn't mean somebody else can't do it. But then for each to argue out the other one into submission is wrong. Because it's in these doubtful areas. What we are to do is to receive the weaker believer as they are. Not try to make them live by our standard. We to respect their convictions. You know, we, we had a, I had a friend, still is my friend uh, in, a, in a way, I haven't seen him personally for a while, but a friend in Melbourne who... Uh, we used to have a men's breakfast at a pancake parlor on a Saturday morning. And uh, the pancake parlor, like the Chinese restaurants in town, you know, have an area where you can buy alcohol, the bar area, whatever. But on that Saturday morning, they would open up just the restaurant part and they would serve us pancakes or bacon and egg, whatever we wanted for men's breakfast. This friend of mine would never come to men's breakfast and I could never figure it out why he loved to eat. He loved bacon and egg. He loved pancakes. I knew because we were good friends, but he never turned up. And so one day I asked him, I said to him, so why don't you come? What, what is it that stops you from coming to the, the breakfast? And he said, oh, look, it doesn't matter. So it's just my personal preference. And, and so uh, being a friend that I was with him, I kind of pestered him a little bit to tell me what his reasons were. And uh, he finally opened up. When he, before he got saved, he was a very heavy drinker. And after he got saved, he vowed that he would not go anywhere near anywhere where alcohol was even available because he was afraid that he'd fall back into drinking. And he couldn't even go into a pancake parlor where the, there was alcohol on the premises that wasn't being served because he feared that the very smell of it would cause him problems because he said, if I walk down the street and walk by a pub, he said, I, I struggle with the whole smell. I, I get attracted to want to go into there, so I always walk on the other side of the street or I take a different route home, whatever the case might be. He said, look, I can't explain it. I know there's no scripture that says I can't be in that place. He said, I just know that from my personal preference, I cannot be there. Now, it would be wrong for me to then try and force him to comply to what I think is okay. I didn't have a problem going there. I didn't have a problem with drink. It would be wrong for me to try and convince him. And he never tried to convince me. Now, what we did do after that was stop going there for more men's breakfast. So he could come. And we started going to McDonald's. And uh, kind of a bit of a downward thing, because not the same, quite, the same quantity of quality of pancakes, but at least he could turn up with us and uh, have breakfast with us when the, the uh, McDonald's had a separate route, you know, the birthday the party room, while well, the ladies used that for the men's breakfast, so it was really neat, and he could come and join us for men's breakfast. But it was his preference. And that's what the Apostle's talking about here. We're not to try and convince somebody, not trying to change people's mind about their personal convictions. In Romans chapter 14, verses 2 through 6, Paul talks about two areas of controversy here. He talks about foods 
in verses 2 and 3, and the keeping of special days in verses 5 and 6. Notice, for one believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth herbs. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not, and let not him that eateth not judge him that eateth, for God hath received him. Who art thou that judgeth another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth, yea, he shall be holden. Uh, holding up, for God is able to make him stand. One man esteemeth one day above another, and another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regardeth the day regardeth unto the Lord. He that regardeth not the day to the Lord, he doth not regard it. He that eateth, eateth not, eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks. And he that eateth not to the, to the Lord, he eateth not and giveth thanks. Now remember, and he's talking here of matters of conscience. These are not moral issues. These are not issues that God has said, Thou shalt not. These are not scriptural imperatives. These are matters of faith and conscience. Paul says that each person needs to make up his own mind what is right and what is wrong in these areas. It says in verse 5, let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. Paul says that we are to respect each other's convictions. And in verses 2 and 3, he deals with the matter of foods. Here Paul tells us what the sin is that each side can fall into in this matter. In verse 2, it says, One believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth herbs. And then he goes on to explain that one side, on the one side you have those who believe that they can eat everything. They're identified as the strong in faith. The strong are those who knew that the dietary laws were abolished under the gospel. It says that in verse 3, let, him, let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. Let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth. So the first is the strong, he that eateth. He's not a despise, he that eateth not. Because, and the strong is the one who knows that, the, that these things, the dietary laws, have been abolished under the gospel. An illustration of that is found back in Acts chapter 11. Chapter 11, Acts chapter 11 and verse 5. If you know Peter, is uh, the Lord is talking to Peter and Peter's, going to get an invitation to go and speak to the unsaved Gentiles. And verse 5, we read this. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. A certain vessel descend as it had been, a great sheet let down from heaven by the four corners, and it came even to me, upon the, the which, when I had fastened mine eyes, I considered and saw four-footed beasts of the earth, and wild beasts, and creeping things, and fowls of the air, and I heard a voice saying in the mirror of rise, Peter, slay and eat. But I said, Not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean hath at any time entered into my mouth. But the voice answered me again from heaven, What God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. And there are other references. This is one to the Apostle Paul. And then you go to the book of Timothy. It talks about that all these things are sanctified through prayer. The word of God's clear that the dietary laws of the Old Testament were done away with when the gospel came into being. 
And the strong are the ones who know that, who believe that, who understand that. On the other side, you have those who believe we can't eat meat, etc. And they are known as the weak in the faith, which is what he's talking about in verse 1 and again in verse 2 and 3. These are those who understand liberty, therefore must not be condemned by the weak. Sorry, the weak are those who felt they must keep the dietary laws. Those who understand liberty, therefore, must not condemn or not be condemned by the weak. And the strong must not despise the weak and call them immature. What he's calling on us here is that when, if we're strong, if there's things that we can do because as believers we have no struggle with them, it doesn't have an impact upon our faith, we can quite happily eat meat that was offered to idols, which was the situation here, or meat that was uh, is pork rather than just uh, the meat that was sanctified by God in the Old Testament. We can do that without affecting our faith. And those who believe in this liberty in Christ should not condemn those who are weak, those who are struggling with this. But those who are weak should not despise the strong and call them unspiritual and immature and ungodly or whatever the case might be. Guzzi puts it this way. In Paul's mind, the weak brother is the stricter one. It wasn't that they were weaker in their Christian life because of what they ate or didn't eat. But they were weaker because of their legalistic attitudes and lack of love towards others. Undoubtedly, these weak ones did not see themselves as weaker. It's likely they thought that they were the strong ones and the meat eaters were the weak ones. Legalism has a way of making us think that we are strong and those who don't keep the rules the way we do are weak. And that is a weird conundrum we find ourselves in. Often those who are keeping the legalistic regulations think they're the strong believers because they're keeping these rules that aren't scriptural rules these aren't the essentials and they think those of us who aren't keeping the essential these non-essentials are the weaker brothers because that's what legalism tends to do and each side can fall into the sin in these matters and that's shown in verse 3 where it says let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not and let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth, for God hath received him. The sin that we can fall into is this, the strong despise the weak. By looking down on him, by calling him a legalist, by saying that he's pharisaical, and that he's living under the law, and therefore we despise him that eateth not. The weak, on the other hand, judge the strong when he sees him eating unclean meat like pork or meat was offered to idols and he says he's a sinner for his guilty of breaking the law of God. And let not him that eateth not judge him that eateth. Paul simply says to you and I, don't do it. And then he tells us the reason. Why is it that you and I should not judge one another in these non-essential matters? Why should we not cause there to be separation over the non-essentials? Why should we not find ourselves in doubtful disputations over things that don't matter? Well, the end of verse 3. For God hath 
received him. For God hath received him. The word received here is the same word as used in verse 1. Him that is weak in the faith, receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. Why are we to receive him? Particularly in this case, the weaker brother, he's saying. Why are we to receive the weaker brother? Because God hath received him. That's the reason. We receive the weaker brother in the same way that God has already received him. In the same way that we also have been received by God. I mean, God has received us the way we are. God has accepted us the way we are. God is not judging the weak. And God is not judging the strong over these non-essential things. God receives us. If God has not put such restrictions on receiving us, or receiving them, then why should we? That's the point Paul's making. If these things don't matter to God, if God is not judging them for their lack of doing things or for their doing certain things that are non-essential, if God has received them, if God is happy to accept them, then why shouldn't we? If God hasn't told us about it, then we have no right to expect it of others. If this is not a command of God, or this is not condemned by God, then you and I have no right to expect it of other people. No matter how much passionately we might think it's right, and that as far as we're concerned it's what we should do, but if it's not in God's word, if it's not a command or condemn, then you and I need to understand in these doubtful areas, these non-essentials, that you and I should expect from people that which God doesn't expect. Guzik said this, It would be easy for a Christian who felt free to eat meat to despise others as hopeless legalists. It would also be easy for those who do not eat meat to judge those who did. But God received those Christians who eat meat and those who don't. See, you and I must not argue over these matters. We must not judge one another in these matters. These are not... These are doubtful disputations and they're a waste of time and effort. There's more important things. Somebody said, in essentials unity, in non-essentials liberty, in all things charity. I thought it was pretty good. In essentials unity, in non-essentials liberty, in all things charity. You know, in every church there are weak and strong believers. And the weak must not condemn the strong and call them unscriptural, unspiritual. And the strong must not despise the weak and call them immature. Because God has received both the weak and the strong. Therefore, we are to receive one another. The psalmist put it this way. In Psalm 133, verse 1, he said this, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. The Lord says it's good to dwell together in unity. And therefore let's dwell in unity as believers so that we may bring joy to our Heavenly Father. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for this night. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this passage of Romans chapter 14. And as we work our way through the chapter, Lord, help us to get a handle on this matter of these doubtful things and how we're supposed to respond, how we're supposed to act towards one another. 
how, Lord God, that uh, uh, there are rules and there are uh, things that matter, but also things that are non-essential. And we do pray, Father God, you'd help us as we work our way through this to learn the principles of your word that we might dwell together in unity and bring glory to your name. Thank you, Father God, for your word this night. We pray that you bless now as we close in Jesus' name. Amen.